We got some dumbass This is Unshackled with Imran on justicenews.net Unshackled with Imran on justicenews.net Assalamualaikum, Muslim. How you doing, my friend? Salam. I'm good. How about yourself, man? How you doing? Good, good. All, all things considered. Uh, I was actually rushing to get to the phone. They just brought me in the booth, and I was tripping over the chair while it was ringing. <laughs> well, man, I, I'm I'm sorry about that, man. I didn't want to. No, no, that's not your fault. No. I don't want you to trip, man. No, it's a small room. You can't fall very far. <laughs> all right. How you been? Good, good, good. All right. How have you been? I'm I'm okay, man. But uh, considering that you're 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 laughing and you're you're smiling, so that's uh, that's good to know, despite your circumstances. Yeah, I try to uh, stay upbeat. But right off the bat, man, I wanted to start this interview by first uh, congratulating you, man. You're a married guy now. Yeah, I married my little baby bear, uh, Paula Jean, and uh, you know she's been an amazing rock for the last three years. And, uh, you know, I lost my, uh, my prior wife to cancer in 2012 yeah. and, um, we were together for 23 years and uh, I've just, I've been blessed to have the, both of these incredible people in my life. And, uh, I mourned for literally seven years and, um, uh, you know, God blessed me with Paula. Uh, I, I know it sounds really cliche, like something from a movie, but I actually went outside one night on a starry night when it was snowing and I prayed. And that was in a November, and then uh, I had the article about my innocence come out the following December, and Paula saw it. And um, she'd never done anything like this before. You know, she wasn't one of those women who writes inmates or anything like that. She was a banker. She lived alone in her own home with her dog. And, you know, she would read books and go to bed at 7 o'clock at night. She led a pretty sedentary, quiet life. And um, But something said, write me. And she wrote me, and uh, we developed a uh, communication and I mean, fell in love real quickly, actually. And uh, she came to visit, and we knew the first day. And uh, she's been there for me ever since. Sadly, because of COVID, we only had a few visits. And then for, you know, almost two years, we couldn't see each other. It was horrible. But she stayed strong and uh, just fought and fought and fought for me while I was in here and trying to get me out. And um, I guess you know where we're at right now on that. Yeah. I mean, the courage of Paula needs to be highlighted here because she did do what she said she would do despite the odds. Yeah, she, and she still does uh, 10 hours a day. It's amazing. She, uh, you know, she exhausts herself. She works her full-time job. She gets up probably 4 o'clock in the morning because the little pups need to go outside. And then uh, she starts her day. And it's a cup of coffee, and it's working on stuff for me. And then she starts her job, and she does that the entire day. And she finishes her job, and she starts fighting for me again. So, um, and then in between, on her breaks, she's you know, answering emails, reaching out to media sources, trying to get a hold of politicians, and so on. And uh, yeah, I'm just blown away, blown away. So it was time to uh, it was time to tie the knot, seal the seal the deal. It's re- our best wishes from Justice News to. Thank you. Well, I might have lost you. Hello. This is Unshackled One on JusticeNews.net. You're listening to Unshackled. Unshackled with Imran on JusticeNews.net. Hello again. Hey, I, I don't know what happened. My apology, man. Somehow the line oh, dropped. That's okay. Yeah, I heard a click, and then I could hear you for a second, and I didn't. Uh, then I couldn't hear anything, but it showed you were still connected on the screen here. Yeah, that is weird, man. So uh, I don't know what happened, but anyhow, I wanted to get to the crux of the matter right now, which is that 
why did the AG refuse to challenge your wrongful conviction when she said that she will? Well, here's what happened. Um, she had made uh, continuous public promises when she uh, announced the establishment of her unit, very specific ones that said, you know, no innocent person should be locked up. And if I find somebody who's innocent, I'm absolutely going to fight to get them out. And I'm also going to go looking for the killer, you know, and which she's never done once, of course. And um, then she went to apply for grants from places like the National Institutes for Justice, who will not respond or even investigate what she's been doing. They just gave her another grant. And in those grant proposals, which we have, she again swore under you know, penalty of perjury, uh, which, by the way, is a, is a crime to fraudulently apply for a grant and not adhere to the terms of the grant yeah. in a federal uh, uh, case. But anyways, she made the elaborate promises about looking for justice for the innocent, ensuring that no innocent person's behind bars, and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. So she got uh, three-quarters of a million dollars, and she just got another grant. I don't have the amount yet. To also do DNA, and in my case, there were fingerprints on a shell box, which of course have DNA. There was a shot shell, which has DNA. Um, we don't know what else there might have DNA. There was a lot of evidence in the case. She tested none of that. Mm -hmm. And um, she assigned investigators to my case, uh, Robin Frankel and Lori Montgomery, who were both wonderful. And um, at some point, she removed Robin Frankel for an alleged conflict. But all the conflict really was with some tie to an officer who had no direct knowledge of the crime, but had engaged in some pretty serious misconduct. So that whole process cost me about a year right there. Now during that period, you have to waive your appeals because one of her crazy rules is you have to waive all of your appeals, yeah. which can cost you your appeals completely, by the way, yeah. while you're waiting for her unit to act. So they went back and forth as to who was gonna handle my case. They considered transferring it down to Wayne County. And at some point they decided to deputize Valerie Newman from the Wayne County CIU, who had been on a Dateline special uh, some time ago about the um, uh, Hires brothers, Tommy and Ray. Uh, sadly, Tommy has since passed, but they were innocent. And they were exonerated by Valerie. And so she brought in Valerie Newman, and um, she assigned an investigator, Detective uh, Patricia Little. And they spent the next approximately a year after speaking with me, talking to witnesses and looking at the evidence, and wrote an enormous report, which Dana had hidden and ordered sealed so that nobody, including the media, could see it. Mm -hmm. So she was getting enormous pressure from the media. There were constant requests coming in, including requests for the report. Uh, articles were coming out saying things like, why is Temujin Kensu still in prison? And allegations were starting to come up that this whole thing was just a fake manipulated process. In fact, uh, Diane Burkowski uh, in Voice of Detroit had written an article uh, pretty much saying that and saying, you know, you, you can't trust these people. They're not really going to help you. And um, we got a little suspicious, so we did some FOIAs ourselves. Well, they started making up different reasons for why they wouldn't release the report. And one of the stories they made up was, oh, well, it's an ongoing law enforcement investigation. So we said, so I said, you know, having a legal background, I said, okay, well, there's a way to address that. If this is the new lie that you're telling people, I started turning in FOIAs saying, Freedom of Information Act requests for listeners, mm -hmm. saying things like, well, there's a law enforcement investigation going on, there's, there's detailed billing records. That's required by law. So I want the billing records. I want the names of the officers that are handling the investigation. I want to know who they've spoken to, suspect reports, time sheets, travel logs, meals, hotels, etc. Mm. Because a lot of the uh, witnesses in this case, for example, were in the Upper Peninsula. Um, and uh, they knew the jig was up. So approximately uh, May the 13th, they received those requests. And the following Monday, 
they suddenly came out with this press release that said, oh, um, we can't help Mr. Kensu because he already raised these issues on appeal. That was, yeah, that was never an issue. And we have online, we've posted the contract and the rules and regulations for Dana Nessel's Conviction Integrity Unit. Uh, At the time that I entered the unit, my case was accepted. She then lied and said my case was never accepted. This is after they completed a massive investigation and wrote an enormous report. Uh, Rashida Tlaib from the squad, well known, uh, was kind enough to reach out to Dana personally and was told something very different, that we have this enormous report and that we're still going through all of it. But in the meantime, Dana had plotted to put out this fake press release and she basically dumped it on Valerie Newman by coming into Valerie Newman and saying, you're gonna read this publicly. The second really foul thing that she did was, during the course of this investigation, we found probably the most important witness I had, besides Michelle Woodworth, who was with me at the exact time of the murder. And that was the girl that I was on a date with a few hours prior to the murder, uh, you know, almost 500 miles away in Michigan's Upper Peninsula with my broken down car. Yeah. So there was evidence in the case that my car was broken down in Elias Brothers Big Boys as late as 3 in the morning in Escanaba, Michigan, in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, hundreds of miles away from the crime scene. Yeah. Uh, my point always was this witness was critical because, among other things, she's going to explain, hey, he's not trying to leave and go downstate and kill somebody. He's staying up here with me and wanting to hang out with me and so on. The police had lied about this girl. They'd given us a false name. I'd met her in a restaurant. Uh, I'd seen her around town. I did not know her last name. I only knew her name as Beth. Turned out her name was Bethany Steyer. They eventually gave us a fake name of Beth Spears. And they claimed they contacted her and she had nothing to add and didn't remember anything. Which I knew was a lie because I'd taken out her to a very elaborate dinner at a place called the Stonehouse. And of course she's not going to forget my car breaking down in a sub-zero winter blizzard because she was very upset about it. Yeah. And um, witnesses testified that I was at this big boy's and I had gotten broccoli soup and they knew what night it was because they only served that soup on that night and so on. But I didn't have Beth. Yeah. So later we mistakenly thought that she had passed away. For many years we thought she was deceased because we found an actual Beth Spear from that area, and this woman had passed away from cancer. Well, Herb, amazingly, was literally you know, praying all the time, and, and uh, he just got this, I don't know if I want to call it a message, but something said to keep looking to try again, even though he had found this woman that we thought was the right one that had passed. Yeah. And he found a Beth Steyer, and he's, he said, I think that's it. And he reached out to her, and it was her. Mm. And bless her heart, she remembered, and she spoke honestly and openly, and uh, she remembered. But here's the thing we found out. She had been interviewed by the police. She had told them she was with me. She had told them where we had gone, and the police hid that from me. Now, this wasn't just uh, Port Huron and St. Clair County. This was the Michigan State Police in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan that also hid this information from us because they were involved in the investigation. Mm-hmm. They also hid a report from us that, that identified six alibi witnesses. And the bottom of the report actually said, well, we shared this information with Port Huron and they told us they didn't want it. So there's a report saying, here's six potential alibi witnesses for this individual. And Port Huron said, yeah, no, we don't want that information. When we learned about the report and the trooper, Larry Shemansky, that had written it and never revealed it to us, we went after the Michigan State Police for the report. They refused to give it to us. Mm -hmm. So we sued the Michigan State Police and we won. Uh, Trooper Shemansky had just passed about six months prior to our learning about this report. So we we actually had to sue the Michigan State Police. So I want the listeners to understand, Dana Nessel's Attorney General's Office fought me on behalf of the Michigan State Police to keep me from getting the report that helped to prove my innocence. 
and identified six alibi witnesses who placed me in the Upper Peninsula at the time of the murder. Mm-hmm. Then she fought me to keep me from getting the report from her office that exonerates me. And according to the person who wrote the report, uh, lists hundreds of violations and calls for the voiding of my conviction. Then I sued her in the U.S. District Court, and she's, she fought me in that and she lied to the court repeatedly. She told the court my case wasn't even done by her. It was done by Wayne County. That was an absolute lie. When Paula caught that and tweeted about it, she rushed to go back and change that lie. Mm-hmm. Um, her defense is, you're suing me for not doing something. Oh, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, yeah, you did. You conspired. You lied. You ordered the hiding of the report that says my case should be thrown out. You threatened your staff. You made them read a phony statement. And then she decided that Beth didn't matter. She decided that Beth was just another cumulative witness. No, she's not. She's the witness that places me in town with my broken down car on a date with her the morning of the murder, hundreds of miles away, Yeah. who also told the investigators including Valerie Newman. No, he wasn't any rush to go anywhere. He wasn't trying to leave me and take off to go kill somebody. In fact, we were playing kissy face in the car. He wanted to stay. I had to go because I knew I was going to be in trouble for being out so late. So she's a devastating witness to this uh, completely manufactured conviction. Yeah. Well, we just got another bombshell. We wondered why she had done this, and we thought you know, perhaps she'd been bribed. Perhaps she'd been threatened. Perhaps she feared the authority of this federal judge who framed me, Robert Cleland. But we just learned that actually she's doing this for a friend. Mm-hmm. Now, we knew that she had some friends that were fighting to keep me in here. Uh, John Ange is a former county prosecutor under Robert Cleland who's a, been obsessively stalking this case. In fact, when I was on the uh, Mitch Album program many years ago, he called in lying about the facts and screaming that I did it. And how dare they expose it and so on. And um, his wife, Kelly, uh, works for Dana Nessel. She's Dana Nessel's special assistant. Oh. So oh. The, one of the prosecutors fighting to keep me in her works for Dana Nessel personally. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've also talked about Mona Armstrong. Mona Armstrong was Dana's college roommate when she was at, uh, I believe it was Wayne State. And Mona Armstrong, besides being insanely corrupt, was another one of the prosecutors fighting to keep me in here and lying about this case for years. It's a big gang. And uh, she's now... Yeah, and she's now a Port Huron judge. So you've got two people that are uh, hyper-tied to Dana Nessel fighting to keep me in here. We're both corrupt as can be. Uh, not to mention a federal judge who framed me, which habeas ruling holds that he did, that he framed me for murder. But now we find out that, and this is kind of crazy how this happened, somebody went to her with this BS story about when I was young. This girl that wanted uh, vengeance against me this, uh, you know, because she was rebuffed. And uh, rejected. Told Dana this crazy story. So instead of Dana looking in, takes it as true. Wow. And she just she tells the girl, "Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure he doesn't get out." And makes well, this dumb girl and her family go around bragging to people, "We've got Dana keeping for the listeners. My birth name's Freeman. We've got we've got the AG keeping uh, Freeman in, in prison, making sure he's never going to get out." Mm-hmm. Um, they did a big report saying he was innocent and they should let him go, but um, Dana promised us she's not going to let him go. She's not going to get him out, and she's not going to let him go. Mm-hmm. So th- this shows you the level of stupidity. Then she starts telling her friends and, of course, some of her co-workers and even people in her family. What she didn't know when she was doing this is our, our support network is enormous. So, you know, we know people that know, we know, people that know her friends and, and relations, and that's all I want to say about that. We know people that 
know the the people that went to her with this bullshit story mm-hmm. and they were stupid enough to brag about it and then others heard it and we got that information from them so we learned why she was really doing this and we learned it from two separate sources so we learned it from a source on the accuser's side and we learned it from a source on dana's side mm-hmm. and so this really shows you the level of corruption in this case well She's so obsessed with me that she recently demanded her staff sign a secrecy pledge, mm-hmm. which an article just came about in the um, Detroit News. What she was doing was she was telling staff, if you get a request for information about me or anything I've done or this office, or if you get a subpoena even from a judge, you have to come tell me within 24 hours. Well, that's because I'm suing her and because we're investigating her. Mm-hmm. So she's so paranoid now that what she's done is going to come out that she demanded her staff sign the secrecy pledge and that was leaked to the media and you know she was just busted so the the level of corruption here is 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 simply insane and you know we and many have been calling on governor whitmer to fix this you know we're not calling on her to call out the attorney general or fire her or anything else but we're saying enough, enough is enough enough is enough so uh, it seems that despite the evidence and the facts uh, uh, available pointing towards your innocence it seems that uh, the ag is not going to uh, do the right thing no not at all no she she created this phony unit she got millions of dollars she hired a bunch of her friends brought them into the unit as employees for the unit itself and in 3 years she's done absolutely nothing for justice she tried taking credit for some cases that her office didn't do which i've talked about on some programs She tried taking credit for the Gilbert Poole, Corey Taylor and DeJesus brothers cases. Those were not her work. Um she even held a press conference for Gilbert Poole and and came out and made this just insane statement about how the minute you see an injustice, you just have to rush to do something about it. This is a woman who's terrorized citizens, who's being sued by numerous citizens, sheriffs, business owners, etc. for abuses of her office. This is a woman, another article I'm going to have to make sure you get. Um Uh, a woman went on Fox News calling out Dana Nessel for the abuses of her office during COVID and Dana was so furious she wrote a series of internal emails literally plotting to get this woman mm-hmm. and and saying we need to go arrest her before she goes on the news again. Wow. That's the level of corruption in this office. Yeah. So she sent a SWAT team after a 60-year-old Polish immigrant business owner yeah. for the crime of I I believe serving water during COVID. Mhm. and then she said we have to make sure she gets the maximum sentence for this this is outrageous how dare she mm-hmm. this is how stupid this woman is who writes emails like that in this day and age knowing what we know about the technology and its retrievability who does that a maniac does that who's infuriated and can't control her temper and one thing that she's famous for is these rants these rages she goes into and we have several whistleblowers and former AG employees who've been kind enough to share an enormous amount of misinformation about what a, basically a whack job this person is. You know, in the last election, she barely lost to Matt DiPerno. Matt DiPerno, besides being a completely unknown, um has multiple in- investigations against him for serious misconduct as an attorney, um, several of which could result in the removal of his license. Um he's been accused of abusing and assaulting clients. He held insanely radical positions. You know they called him an election denier and a you know, Trump supporter and everything else but this is in Michigan you know and in a state where he shouldn't have gotten 5 votes just because of our political makeup and yet she beat him by like you know half a percent and she spent millions and millions and millions of dollars and ran all ads attacking Matt and he did nothing 
he he went to a couple events. He had no money. I never saw a single Matt DiPerno commercial. Just hers attacking him. Where did she get the money from? Oh, Democratic donors and PACs, dark money mm-hmm. and uh, PACs. And, you know, it, what's really crazy is her politics are not conducive to business. She's your typical uh, control freak, which, you know, uh, obviously business of horror. And during COVID, she was the hypocrite that ran around and didn't wear a mask and went to parties and gatherings and then wanted to punish everybody else for alleged COVID violations. She's notorious for her hypocrisy. Um, why businesses supported her, I have no idea. But unfortunately, a lot of businesses supported her. She's probably going to be running for the governor. Oh, that's not going to happen. She's despised. If anybody Googles her, the amount of just vehement um, attacks on her uh, are unbelievable. Paula will go online and it's just page after page after page of people vilifying and demonizing her. This woman is despised. And that's, that's why I was so shocked, you know, that she got any votes. But even so, she barely beat this nobody who was, um, who was being attacked by the media daily. So it shows you how much she's how much she's despised in this state mm. that DiPerno almost beat her. You know, the the media tore him a new one. But it yeah. wasn't enough because she's still there, man. No, so it wasn't. Means, no, it wasn't enough. Yeah. No. Yeah, uh, that shows yeah. The, the level of corruption uh, in that state. Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You know, it's it's really tragic what's happened with the media over the last ten or fifteen years because they've gone from being watchdogs to lapdogs, and it's heartbreaking because. It's destroying the country. It doesn't matter what your politics are. No, everybody knows things are messed up right now, and a lot of it's fixable. And what's happened to us is we become so divided that whatever issue one side takes up, right or wrong, the other side instantly hates that issue. Yeah. To you know, to the level where people are actually attacking each other in public for wearing, for not wearing a mask. Yeah. And how that became a talking point versus a talking point for the right. When Donald Trump was promoting the vaccine, the left was screaming, I'm not going to take the vaccine. It's Donald Trump's vaccine. Even Kamala Harris said that. Then when the vaccine comes out, if you don't take it, you're the biggest piece of garbage that ever lived. And you're a monster and so on. So, you know, we can't even see straight. Yeah, because the, the way to actually get something inside of your body is to get you injected. I mean, that's why the world, look at the logos of World Health, Health Organization. It's a needle. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. But the, and, and not just that, we're seeing all the science now that's coming out. Not, not rhetoric and misinformation, but actual science showing that there are some terribly adverse effects. We're seeing myocarditis in young men at growing massive numbers. We're seeing blood clots in women. We're seeing infertility in men to the point now where there are websites where you can go and sell your semen if you're not vaccinated. I mean, this is simply insanity. We know Mm -hmm. this vaccine was a new and untested vaccine. It involved a modification of RNA and DNA. You know, they utilize spike proteins, we were told, would leave our body. Now we know the spike proteins are not leaving our bodies. I didn't take the vaccine for listeners' knowledge, and I hope that doesn't infuriate those of you on the left, nor, nor did Paula. Nor did Paula. Neither did I. In fact, Paula had to pay a good. Yeah, pay, Paula had to pay a fine every single month for not being vaccinated. Good, I, I reject it. And she's in that category of women that would have suffered if she was. So, yeah. you know, God bless. She didn't, and we're through this, and she's fine. Yeah. Do not take this goddamned vaccine. Look at the law of the World Health Organization. It's a snake yeah. with a needle on top of a flat earth. Doesn't that say a lot? Yeah. <laughs> That's, I know. It's just, it's unbelievable. And, it, and it's really unbelievable to me that we're not even allowed to talk about it anymore. You know, I didn't come into this thing as some anti-vaxxer. You know, I had friends that died from, from complications of COVID, but they all had comorbidities. So, and I have immune disease, but I have the flip side where my immune system is too strong. And so I actually developed COVID 
And they came and told me one day, hey, you had COVID, you have the antibodies now. Because the first thing we did in the MDOC here in Michigan was we didn't do the nasal swabbing, we did actual blood tests. So they brought in the National Guard and they came in and drew our blood and then they let us all know our status. And I was one of the thousands in the Michigan Department of Corrections that had been infected before I even knew it. And they came and said, hey, you're positive, you have the antibodies. Well, anybody has had you know, first year biology knows what antibodies are. They're defensive proteins inside the body that are specifically created to target whatever they're designed to go after in the first place. So you're exposed to inert polio virus, you develop polio antibodies, and technically you should never develop polio. What they never said to us as a kid was, you need to keep getting polio shots every six months. Yeah. Because once you develop antibodies, your body is genetically programmed to continue producing those antibodies. So there are some things that, you know, they would weak it and you might get a booster if you went to another country. But all the things we did as a kid, whooping cough, pertussis, rheumatic fever, scarlet fever, measles, mumps, PPD, polio, and so on, those stayed with us. We're not getting mumps shots now. We're getting measles shots now. We're not getting whooping cough shots now. Yeah. And with this vaccine, they created something that they had not created before in a different way. It had been unproven and untested. And then suddenly we start, you know, for there's the promises that you'll, you'll never get infected and you'll never get sick. And then people were dying in droves and taking the vaccine and they were infecting others and they were getting infected all the time. Well, now you need boosters. And then it's a booster every six months. And then we saw kids weren't getting sick. And I just saw another Sesame Street commercial demanding you vaccinate your little tiny three-year-old. Yeah. So we, now, now we're at the point we should, we should, this is not an anti-vax argument. I took vaccines in the army and I took them as a kid. This is different. We should be asking questions and why they're still doing this now mm -hmm. and why they're still demanding with Sesame Street commercials that you vaccinate your little child mm -hmm. when we know that there's spike proteins remaining in the body and we know this whole host of disorders that are showing up and we know it's causing infertility. So I don't want people out there screaming conspiracy theorist. It's simple science. And we keep saying follow the science and we're not following the science. Cotton masks don't do anything. Anybody, the medical professional knows that. Because the science goes against their own stupid arguments, man. It's a takedown. It's a covert takedown, which is over now. Yeah, it, it really is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And so when I was in here, none of the nurses would take the vaccine and none of the nurses wore masks because they knew the science. They had the basic medical knowledge to understand that this was not correct. Mm -hmm. our, our doctors, our, our, our practicing uh, uh, physicians, our nurse practitioners, our physician's assistants, none of them were wearing masks because they all knew. They knew this was a bunch, and they would just say, this is a bunch of garbage. And they worked in the medical community in here and also out in the world, and they said their friends feel the same way. And yet, how many nurses and, and physicians and military personnel and first responders were fired for not taking the vaccine, you know, even when they knew the science or when they had valid concerns? So that's because of the political division. And that's what's really heartbreaking to me is everything has to be one side or the other, and whatever this side believes, that side has to hate. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's gotten insane. And, um, yeah, we're absolutely, you know, we're absolutely unable to look at things from a scientific perspective. And we're unable to look at them through this, uh, this unbiased filter of just what they are. It's all agenda-driven now. And um, that's a big, big part of why I'm in here. You know, one side doesn't care about justice, and the side says they does aren't fixing it. You're listening to Unshackled. Unshackled with Imran on justicenews.net. What about the people of Michigan? I mean, can they see this this absolute violation of your 
rights, all kinds of rights. I mean, sure. it's an absolute violation of, of your... Yeah. They're, they're denying you to exist. Well, how come the people of Michigan State can't see this right. and raise their voices, man? Well, you know, Imran, this is, this is really not just me. This is with everything. It kind of takes me back to the point I was making a moment ago, which is that we know what's going on, but it's, if it's not affecting us, we're not complaining. You know, uh, everyone knows that these parents became activists during COVID because they learned about things that were going on in schools that they had no idea were going on, and they didn't like them. And then they got it, they, because then, it, then they, it, they felt it affected them. It was actually affecting them all along, and they didn't know it. But when they realized it, when they learned about what was being taught in some of these schools, they were like, oh, wait a minute, hold on, what? Uh, my kid's got nothing but minority friends, and you're telling my kid all day long that he or she's a racist? That's not cool. And I didn't raise my kid to be a racist. And, you know, all of my kid's friends are minority members, and they come over to our house all the time, and they're treated wonderfully, and my child's never said a racist thing. And yet suddenly my kid's hearing all day long that they're racist, and it's almost like a genetic program in them. So The government is the racist. Well, of course they are. Of course they are. Our government has, has oppressed minorities and races and what they considered subclasses of human beings for years for all of their own reasons, whether it was Native Americans or Irish immigrants, etc. Um, it's always been us against them. Who's got more power? And um, so, yeah, Michigan citizens see this and we get a lot of positive support. We get a lot of messages or, you know, people write the governor. But... They don't have, if they don't have an innocent loved one in prison, that's not their issue. That's not their concern. It's not on their agenda, unfortunately. And I'm not, I'm not going to call them, you know, bad people for that. I wish they cared more because, as I always tell people, this can happen to you. This can happen to your loved one. This happens to a lot of people. Michigan leads the nation in wrongful convictions. That alone should lead to an enormous outcry in our legislature to say, hey, we locked up a lot of innocent people. I just saw a while ago, you know, there's a moratorium on the death penalty in Pennsylvania. Hmm. And I just read recently that uh, 10 of the guys they had on death row were exonerated. They would have been ex- These guys would have been executed. You know, we always say, well, there's no proof we ever executed an innocent person. Bullshit. That's because we're not doing investigations. Of course we have. We're not doing investigations into all the people that the governments of these states have killed. But the simple fact is, Pennsylvania had 10 guys on death row that were slated for execution that were exonerated. They were completely innocent. Not only should they not have been in prison, they shouldn't have been arrested, they shouldn't have been charged, they sure as hell shouldn't have been sentenced to die like I am. And the only reason they weren't killed was because the governor there put a moratorium on the death penalty. So you can say I'm for the death penalty, but guess what? Pennsylvania was going to kill, at a minimum, these 10 people that were cleared since the moratorium. Now, there's no way you can be stupid enough to believe they haven't killed innocent people if there were 10 guys they've already admitted they were about to kill yeah. that were innocent, you think they're the first innocent people to ever be on death row? Does anybody out there believe no. that? No. Does anybody believe that, yeah, does anybody believe that every state has never executed innocent people? And again, but they, they well, killed a lot of innocent people. Of course they have. They go, well, but it that doesn't affect me. Or it didn't happen to my loved one, or they didn't kill my innocent loved one. Those who suffer this, like I have and, and others have, they often don't have the money, the power, the political connections, the savvy to get help. And we all know that this society basically functions on power, privilege, finance. Hmm. So if I had power, if I had connections, if I had money, I wouldn't be in here. I was a 23-year-old kid that didn't have anything. I was stone broke. At one point, Shelly and I actually lived on bicycles and slept in the woods. And, I mean, that's how poor we were. 
And, you know, when I was arrested for this, I lived in a $200 a month rental farmhouse in the middle of nowhere on welfare. So I didn't have any power. I didn't have any connections. I didn't have any friends. I couldn't hire uh, a skilled lawyer. So they gave me this crackhead drunk with cocaine convictions who was transporting prostitutes back and forth to drug houses in his free time. And so everyone knows this is all a matter of record. This is not hyper. This is actually on record. Yeah. And that's what they gave me for my lawyer. And the first thing the guy did was he forged some phony power of attorneys. He went into my storage bins and he stole everything that Shelly and I owned and he sold it for drugs while I was in jail on this charge. So he was never going to help me get out of here. He was never going to fight for me. He did the bare minimum. And the 90% of what we had at trial was my and Shelly's work from a jail cell and her from an apartment. Hmm. Not, you know, not the good work of my lawyer, which the appellate courts claimed. I had to do everything myself. I had to learn the law while I was in jail. I had to write my own motions. I still have the handwritten versions of those motions. I still have all the notes that I took, hundreds of pages of notes. Um, and I, I had to sit there in a little jail law library and teach myself the law because my lawyer was a drunk and a crackhead. Yeah, this is what they do. You know, they always look for the uh, they, they look for the weak yeah. that they can uh, destroy. You know, this is this is a perfect example of how to destroy the yeah. lives of poor people in America who are supposed to be innocent. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I was blessed to have the intelligence to help myself a little bit, but I didn't have the power or the influence to help myself sufficiently. But yeah. everybody in that county knew what was being done to me. Everyone knew who David Dean was. He owned a bar. He comped the prosecutors and the judges there free with all with the, along with the dirty cops every single night. Uh, it's well known who was attending uh, what was called the Wall Street Bar at that time, and later it was renamed to the Keg and Kraut. Um, this is a guy who eventually spent his, his waning years in Cambodia having sex with little 10- and 12-year-old girls, some of whom were on his Facebook page at his funeral. Like little, little girls, little Cambodian girls, mm -hmm. dolled up like adult women with gallons of makeup and sexy clothing. Mm -hmm. That was his funeral entourage in Cambodia when he died. I mean, the man was just a scumbag from the day that he was born till the time he got into law as a crooked prosecutor, till he went into private practice, ripped off the firms that he worked for, got kicked out of those, started his own little shabby firm and ran a bar where he uh, did all of his criminal dealings and his drug dealings and mm. let all the prosecutors and judges and dirty cops eat and drink there for free. And he brought in prostitutes and all of this was known. I don't know this. I'm not from this area. I don't know these people. I'm arrested and I'm dragged down there and thrown into a jail cell. I don't know the guy that's killed. I don't know anybody involved in any of this. I have no idea, but my judge knew my prosecutors knew the police involved knew Everybody knew who David Dean was. And eventually it was a county sheriff that came and told me in the jail who my lawyer really was. And by then it was too late. Mm. The damage was done. He'd stolen everything that I owned and my fate was sealed. And, uh, you know, God bless that guy. So I'm going to call him out now. His name's Larry Gunter. And he's not with the county sheriffs anymore, so he can't get in trouble. Thank you, Larry Gunter, for telling me the truth. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's how I first learned who my lawyer really was. One thing I want you to know is that you you can't say that you don't have any power because you have to understand you, uh, the biggest power to ever exist the almighty god he is with the truthful he is with the innocent he is with those who stand for the truth so it is a power that these uh, people might not be able to see right now True. but it is there uh, you know it's just waiting for the command to occur and when it does nobody can stop the god from occurring i don't know what his plan is yeah i feel the same way but i can clearly tell you something if we look at the last year's trajectory the only people that have been humiliated in front of the whole world 
is, and their country is the state of Michigan. Absolutely. Not you. Absolutely. Every single thing that's been coming out is in your favor and is against them. So they are the losers, man. That is true. And I, and I do thank God for that all the time. Absolutely. And so does Paula. And I, I do believe he has a hand in this. I want everyone to know that. Um, whatever you believe, uh, I absolutely believe in our Creator, and I absolutely believe that He's been guiding us. You have to remember, people from all faith backgrounds, including uh, Imran, for example, right here with me now, um, my lawyers at U of M, um, who also happens to be a Muslim named Imran, by the way, bless his heart, um, my lawyer John Mayer, who's a Christian, my uh, private investigator Herb Welser, who's a very, very devoted and very sincere Christian. This man's given 15, 20 years of his life and thousands of hours and dollars out of his own pocket. These are good men and men of faith, and, and they live by their faith and their convictions. So there's no question in my mind that God has a hand in this. Uh, it's always difficult to wait on him, but I also know that uh, the Bible and the Quran uh, both tell us that it's our job, when our hearts are moved by these things, it's our job to go out and act. Even though we pray to the God for, for food, uh, we pray for sustenance, we pray for protection and help, we pray for the help for strangers and the suffering and the impoverished, he also tells us to go and take care of them, to go help them. And I'm not implying that God is telling all of you out there to come help Temujin Kensu, but I would say to you that this is an important cause. This is a cause that affects not just thousands, but millions of people. The injustices in our system are many. Mine happens to be a very specific injustice, that of the wrongfully convicted. But it's part of a problem and a pattern that's gone on for far too long. These are fixed problems. Uh, people like Dana Nessel, if she received enough pressure, whether it be from political sources or media or other, would have no choice but to do the right thing. If she faced prosecution for what she's doing, which is actually criminal, it's not, these are actually crimes, not just constitutional violations, she would have to fix it. Or, you know, we would ask that our governor steps in and says, hey, this is ridiculous. This has gotten out of hand. There's way too much going on here. And the simplest thing for our governor to do to make all of this go away is to simply acknowledge my request for clemency and, and you know, grant me a pardon. This is Unshackled with Imran. I'm on justicenews.net.